853. <clears throat> 853. 853 will be the uh, song after the lesson this evening. You'd like to mark your books there. I'd like to thank you for being here this evening. It's a pleasure to stand before this audience, to sing with you, to worship with you, to study God's Word. If you're visiting this evening, and we may have visitors in the audience, a crowd this size, probably so. So I want to say that we are especially thankful that you're here. We're thankful that you took this time out of your life, out of your schedule, to come here and worship. We want you to feel welcomed, and we want to invite you back at every opportunity. Tonight, I would uh, beg your indulgence, if you will. I want to talk about my mom just a little bit. And I, and not much, but just a little. And uh, I would like to talk about her in a vein, if you will, of something that I learned when I grew up that you don't want to know. You really don't want to learn this, but I learned it. When we think about worry, I'm trying to figure out how to turn this remote on. Is red good or green? Okay. Green means go, doesn't it? <laughs> when we think about worry, we generally think about Martha and Mary. Jesus went to Martha and Mary's house and there Martha was preparing a feast for this important guest. And we see that she's in the kitchen all busy. We all know this story. And Mary's out there and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we applaud Mary and rightfully so because Jesus did. Jesus makes a statement to Martha when she comes out and she's, she's perturbed. She says, Mary won't help me. I need some help in the kitchen. And Jesus replies, he said, Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, and it shall not be taken away from her. I have seen worry. Now, I want to tell you that what I think about Martha there that day is human. And I don't think Jesus is reprimanding her, not like some people may have taken it. I know that he's telling her, look, get your priorities in order. Martha has chosen this good part, and it shall not be taken away from her. And we need to choose those same things. I still can't get this to work. Anyway, there it is. Magic. <laughs> Martha is human. And I've seen worry firsthand. Those things that we're looking at on this board, and I wanted to show you this, this is a list generally that's human. And I think all of us have experienced these things many, many times in our life. I know you did in 2020. I don't have any question about that. I don't have to ask for a show of hands as to whether or not you had any fear or you've been discouraged or you've worried or you've been lonely. 
There was so much loneliness that was experienced. And I know that in this audience here this evening, these things are still prevalent and they're relevant to you in your life. I take Martha and Mary in that instance where Jesus is telling Martha, 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 thou art cumbered and troubled about many things. But Mary hath chosen that good part, and it shall not be taken away from her. I hear him saying, Martha, I want you to live a victorious life. I want you to live a happy life, a joyous life, a life filled with goodness, a life free of the anxiety of this world that you're facing. I believe that Jesus wants us to live above these things. And I believe that as we go through life, this one particular of worry is something that you and I fight every day. But I want to tell you, I've seen worry firsthand. I want to tell you about my mother. And I want to preface this by saying, first of all, that I had a wonderful mother. I loved her. She was devoted to the church. There was very seldom a meal that we sat down at the table that my mom and my dad didn't talk about the work of the church. That they were not planning for the work of the church. But my mother had a serious problem. And I didn't know it was a problem. I was a kid. I thought everybody lived in a house like this. My, work, my mother had a compelling worry problem. And it's kind of funny, because thinking back, back on it and considering what she went through in 1921 is when she was born. She lived through the Great Depression. She married a man that was left uh, without a daddy when he was 15 years old. And when they got married, I'll tell you what they had. And I want all these young people to know what they had. They had a hog. And that's all they had. And that was given to them by my mother's daddy and mama. And that's all they had. So my mother grew up in a time where very little was had. And she was raised in a home that the luxuries of life really didn't exist as we know them today in any form. She went out and she would work every day with her daddy. She would work outside. And then her dad died when he was in his 50s. And she was without a daddy. So my mother, because I believe of some of these circumstances and perhaps some genetics, I don't really know. When we would go out and we would work in the field and we would try to make a crop and I grew up on a farm and we grew nursery stock and my mom and my daddy, uh, it was not like it is today. There was no hiring a bunch of employees. The kids went with them and we did the work. I learned how to work by watching my mother work. I learned the value of work because my mother was a worker. But one of the flaws that my mother had is she never could release the worry and anxiety that went in her life. And I watched her her entire life have this problem. When I was a kid, I thought it was natural that when you planted a crop, 
You were concerned about reaping that crop, but not concerned in thinking about if and if and when you reap it. It's, I don't believe we can reap it. Do you think we can plant this? Do you think it's going to keep from raining? I know y'all don't have that problem, but we did. Do you think it will keep from raining long enough that we can plant this? Do you, think, do you think this crop is too big for us? Do you think we can do that? And then the whole time we're working in the field, she has all of these concerns and all of these troubles and all of these worries, and I lived in that. Unlike maybe some of these younger folks, my mother, when she woke you up every morning, it was a slamming door waking you up saying the sun's shining and you need to get outside because we're not going to survive if you don't get outside. <laughs> we're not going to make it. I love my mother, but that was a problem that she had. She lived every day like that. Every day. She would worry about the church. She would worry that we would fail to exist as a congregation. And I get being concerned. And what I'm telling you this evening about worry is I want you to know that I do not believe in living in a Pollyanna uh, climate. Everything is wonderful. If you know me, you know that. And I do believe that there are concerns that we need to have, and I do believe that we need to work toward those things. But I want to tell you, we do not need to live as my mother lived. As much as I loved her, I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to live in a world of negativity, and I don't want you to live in a world of defeatism, and I don't want you to live in fear. My mother faced that battle her whole life. Maybe I'm speaking to some here this evening that are facing that same battle in their life tonight. You wake up every morning and you start worrying. You start worrying about your kids. I lost my dad in 1992. And then my mother took and focused her attention on me. Bart, do you think you can make that crop? Do you think that you can survive? You and Robin, you're overcropping yourself. You're overdoing it. You're working two jobs and trying to preach. Now you go on and preach, and I'll work here for you. But when I get home, she said, I don't see how we're ever going to make it. <laughs> That's the way she would do. She was more than willing, if I was going to be gone somewhere, she was going to take up some slack. The work was not a problem. It was the idea toward the work. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, and maybe you've experienced that somewhat. My dad, when we were working in the field, I noticed that he would escape in his mind a lot of times. My mother would sometimes, with her negativity and her worry and anxiety, she would rattle on, and my dad would escape, and he would escape into a world of Bible verses, and he would escape into a world of poetry. My dad had an eighth grade education, but he had an uncanny uh, talent for remembering poems that were written <laughs> so long ago that I would not have a clue as to where to find them. And he loved it. 
And I suppose that being a son of my mother and my daddy, I got a little bit of both. And I'd watch my dad escape in this, and I would watch my mother go into defeatism and trouble and worry and anxiety. Well, one day I decided that I didn't want to live that way. And I've been fighting that for a long time. And I've tried to overcome as much as I can. I'm still fighting it with you. I'm still fighting it. I'm still fighting the worry. I'm still fighting the Martha, Martha problem because Jesus wants me to live in victory and he wants you to live in victory. It is not God's desire for his child to go around in a defeated mindset and a worry mindset. And I look back, my mother's been dead since 2010, and I miss my mother as much as anybody that would miss their mother. And I watched her slip into Alzheimer's with the same mindset because she had developed this, and this is who she was. And when she was in Alzheimer's was really and truly, and, I, and, I, and I'm sorry to have to say this, but it was one of the few times that she received some peace. The delusions that she received were not delusions of fear and worry. She would have little children come and visit her bedside. She would talk to them in her mind. And she received some peace. You know, I don't want anybody to live like that. I don't want you to live like that. And I know Jesus don't want you to live that way. We are, to, we are called to live a victorious life because Christ has won the victory. We are called to live above this worry that inflicts all of us so much. Notice what Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Paul warns against this anxious, fear-filled life. When I started thinking about my life and how it was affecting everybody else, I had to take into account, okay, Mark, you're a preacher. You've been trying to live a Christian life ever since you were 10 years old. I was baptized when I was 10. I gave my first lesson in church when I was 12. And now here I am walking around as a grown man with pessimism because of what I lived in. I don't want you to experience that. I haven't overcome it. And any of you that know me know that to be true. And I'm not here telling you to live in a Pollyanna existence. I'm telling you that Jesus wants you to have victory in your life, and we are going to look and to see how that can be done this evening. Paul warns us against listening to the voice of fear. We've all heard that voice. And the idea that you can't and that you won't and that you don't. His desire for us is to know the peace of God. And I believe that if we seek the peace of God, brethren, we can have it. Our need to be warned... In the Bible is, number one, because worry is useless. I'd like to read you something. See if you know this person. I know him. 
I know him quite well. I worry a lot. Will the garden grow? Will the rivers flow in the right direction? Will the earth turn as it was taught to? And if not, how in the world could I correct it? Oh, I worry a lot. Was I right? Was I wrong? Will I be forgiven? Can I do better? Will the Flemings someday forget how to sing? Oh, I worry a lot. <laughs> and will I ever be able to sing? Well, the birds can do it. Why can't I? And I'm just hopeless. Is my eyesight fading or am I just imagining it? Am I going to get rheumatism, lockjaw, dementia? Finally, I saw that worrying had to come to nothing. I used to worry a lot. You know that person? I think we all know that person. Worrying over useless things. Worrying over things that will never come to pass. Worrying over foolish things. Worrying whether or not our guest will be pleased. Worrying whether or not we will be successful. Worrying whether or not we will continue in life. We worry, we worry, we worry. Now, I believe, brethren, that if we can change something, it's wise to do it. Matthew 6, 27 says, Which of you, by taking thought, could add one cubit unto his stature? You can't make one hair black if it's gray, unless you put something chemical on it, but not naturally. You can't add increase, increase one inch to your height. You can't increase any of these things and change any of these things, but yet these are the things that we spend worrying about. Now, if we can change something, it's wise to do it. And that's what I'm telling you. I don't believe in living in this Pollyanna make-believe existence. Uh, I used to say about myself, well, Mark, you're just a realist. And then I realized that it was not being very real. It was being worrisome. The real facts are the fact that Jesus doesn't want me to live that way. If we cannot change these things, it's wise for us to release it. This problem of worry is common among all of us. Do you realize that rich people worry? Do you realize that poor people worry? A few weeks ago on a meeting I preached this sermon. And a girl come up to me and she said, I needed that so much. And I looked at her and she was this tall. <laughs> you haven't begun to live. And you're worrying. And I'll tell you, there's every, every young person over here on this side tonight, you worry. You worry about what people think about you. You worry about what people say about you. You worry about tomorrow. You worry about whether you're going to succeed in school. You worry about college. You worry about husbands and wives that you don't have. <laughs> you worry. 
Do you realize that I found that most people in the church worry? But Jesus does it. He tells us not to do that. But I've also found that people that are not in the church worry. It's common to every person. I want to ask you tonight for a little self-evaluation and you just keep it to yourself and think in your mind, what are some of the things that you worry about? Most often we worry about the things that never happen. Never happen. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why would Jesus say something like that? My mother would go to bed at, when the chickens went to bed. Literally. You know why? She was tired. She was tired from all the work that she was doing. But I'm going to tell you, a fear-filled, anxious, worry life will make you tired. You get tired of living and you're afraid to die. Now, my mother was not afraid to die. Praise God for that. But her life here was not what I believe that God wants us to have. And maybe your life is not either for any number of reasons. Worry being one of them and anxiety one of them. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can't help but think about Jesus when I read this verse and what he did as a boy. He worked in a carpenter shop. Worked there with, his, with Joseph. He worked there every day. And you know, I believe that when Jesus was in the carpenter shop, he was completely and perfectly obedient. I don't believe that he ever said anything out of the way whatsoever. I don't believe that he ever had any guile in his mouth whatsoever. Somebody who wants to be a uh, theologian and ask these impossible questions, was Jesus was human, well, he was human enough to hit his finger with a hammer. <laughs> I don't know. You don't either. But this is what I do believe, that if he did hit himself with a hammer, he didn't let out a curse word. That's what I do know. Jesus grew up in this carpenter shop, and what he saw as a carpenter shop most likely was a lot of burdened people. He was not living in a wealthy time and a wealthy era. It was one of the worst times in history for humanity. After all, you think about uh, the country putting out a decree to kill all the firstborn. We think we've got it rough. Jesus, one of his jobs at the carpenter shop, I'm pretty sure, is to make yoke. Now, when I was a kid, I used to put an L in that. <laughs> and I would say his yoke is easy. Huh. Easy over? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but it does. Yoke, yoke was the collar 
that went on an oxen. It's that thing that you see, and we don't have any clue in our society today, not in our, our uh, surroundings. Nobody works horses and nobody works animals. But if you didn't put that collar on that animal, and, they, and then you put them under a load, those lead reins and that, all that leather, it's going to cut into their flesh. And that burden that they're pulling is a burden that nobody could stand. And that's our burden of sin. It's a burden that nobody can stand. But we tolerate it. And Jesus makes an invitation. My yoke is easy. What do you mean by that? Well, if Jesus is perfect and he worked in this carpenter shop and he did everything perfectly and he said everything perfectly, I assure you that every yoke that he made for an oxen fit perfectly. It was easy for that oxen then to pull that load. You're here tonight because you believe that there is hope for you in this world and in the world to come. Perhaps you're here this evening because you're burdened with a load of sin and you can't pull it anymore. It's cut into your flesh to the point that you are a bloody mess and you're tired of it. Jesus says, you come unto me. You take my yoke, the one that I've got for you, and you put it on. And then your burden will be easy and it will be light. Does that sound like a victorious life to you? Now, that doesn't sound like a life that is not without a burden. <laughs> it just makes it possible. It makes it bearable. We live in a world today that there, uh, we are burdened by so many things. If nothing else, just the burden of being in the flesh, where the flesh is corrupted and the flesh must die. And that's a burden. And then all the disappointments of the, of the flesh. No wonder we need Jesus. We need him because our burden is unbearable without him. Jesus says, you take my yoke upon you and you learn of me. You see, it's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus, and it's another thing to learn about him. How much do you know about him? The only way that I can really know Jesus is to get acquainted with his personality. To learn what, the way he thinks. To learn what he does and how he lived. And he said, if you'll do this, if you lower yourself to do this, you'll find rest into your souls. Psalm 37, 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself. In other words, don't worry. Why? Because you're resting in Jesus. Doesn't mean you don't have a burden. It doesn't mean that your life is all uh, roses and carnations. It doesn't mean that at all. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. 
Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off from those that wait upon the Lord. They shall inherit the earth. Now, we need this, this passage of Scripture now more desperately than ever in my mind. And the reason why is because a lot of us have worried and we've been worried and we're still worried over what the future holds because of the evildoers in this world. And we worry about it and we're anxious about it. And we're no different than my, my sweet mother was. And so many things because you can't do anything about it anyway. You cannot, you cannot change it. And he tells us that these evildoers evil will be cut off. God's going to take judgment on the evildoers. You do not want to be one. <laughs> you want to be in the yoke of Jesus. But those who wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. One reason why we need to cease from worry and concentrate on getting over this malady of the flesh is that it's so infectious. You know, I, I was 50 years old before I really realized that I'd been infected. That's how smart I am. I thought it was natural. I still fight it. We'll fight it probably till I die because something that you've been living with for that many years is very hard to get rid of. That's the reason why I warn these young kids every night, these young folks, watch what you pick up. Be, be careful. Walk circumspectly. Be aware of the dangers around you. One of these dangers is living a defeated life in a defeated world and would hope for some kind of victory in the flesh, and it's not going to happen. The victory is in Jesus, and the victory is in the Spirit, and it's not in this world. My mother had infected our whole household. I've, I've got five, uh, there are five of us, uh, two still living, besides myself. All of us face the same thing. Every one of us, some more than others, I was probably the worst because I just adored my mother. And I took care of her up until she died. I did everything I could do. But she taught us how to worry. She taught us how to worry over useless things, over worthless things. Am I angry over her doing that? No, not at all. I'll tell you what grieves me. Is that her life went and had so much misery in it that was so unnecessary. So much worry that meant nothing. Nothing. So I feel compelled because of that and because of me finally waking up in my life that I don't want you to live that way. Watch what you say. Watch how you approach subjects. I'm still learning. Probably wouldn't say that if Ty wasn't here. <laughs> but he knows me all too well. <laughs> I'm still learning. 
Let's watch what we say. Let's watch how we say it. When you come to church, you come to the assembly, be aware that you can infect people around you by your attitude and by how you're viewing life. You can infect a whole crowd of people. I know everybody walks up, well, how you doing? I'm doing great. And then you've got this look on your face that looks like a Tennessee mule. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm doing good. You don't feel like you're doing good, and everybody knows it. Be careful about that. Worry is infectious. I know that you've got troubles. I have troubles too. But let's not let our troubles and our burdens overpower us where we infect other people. And we get so concentrated on our burdens that we forget who we are, that we're the child of the king. Let's not forget that. Also, it's a leaven that spreads. It's infected and then it spreads. And it will undermine our confidence in the Lord. By far the worst of these three things that I've mentioned. I want you to have confidence in the Lord. He's faithful. No, you're not faithful. I'm not faithful. I fail every day. And if I live my life in defeat every day because of the things that I've done or the way that I've lived, the things that I've thought, then I end up not having confidence in Jesus and not having confidence in his blood, not having confidence in his kingdom, not having confidence, and I am defeated. The Lord wants you to live victoriously. He wants me to live victoriously. The only way that I can do that is I can have confidence in the Lord, not in the fact of the things that I have done. I never, never applaud your own accomplishments. You don't have to tell somebody you're successful. If you're successful, everybody will know it. You don't have to tell them. If you're a good person, you don't have to tell them you're good. If you're a humble person, you don't have to tell them you're humble. Everybody will know it. Don't applaud your own accomplishments. Applaud the accomplishments of the Lord. We can have confidence in him, and that is the confidence and the road to victory in our life where we can get up every morning, and no matter the circumstances that we're facing in our life, we can say, I know that I belong to a child of the king. I am a child of the king, of the, of the Lord on high, and I know that I've got my burdens. Trust me, you will always have your burdens. The difference is, is you don't have to be defeated by those burdens. Let's understand worry this way. There are no ideal situations on earth. None. About the time you think things are going your way, something will happen and you'll be skidding down a path that just, oh, I don't know where I'm going now. That's just the way this life is. About the time you think that everything is just disastrous, things turn around. One of the things that my dad taught me in the midst of all this worry that I will never forget, and I take it with me every day, is he said, be thankful for change. 
Be thankful for change. Some of us don't like change. Be thankful for change. And the reason you can be thankful for change is because of whatever circumstance that you're in, it's going to change. <laughs> if it's bad, you'll be grateful that it's, it's changed. If it's good, you will say, oh, I wish it didn't change. But be thankful for change. I want you to get this. Because the next life, there is no change. If you leave this life unprepared to meet Jesus, there is no change. You're in a world of change today. And though our situations in life sometimes may not be the best, they're going to change. They may get worse for a while, but they're going to change. And if you're just living the life of Riley, I don't know who he is, but that's always been a saying in Tennessee to the people that had it going on. If you're living the life of Riley, everything is good. Trust me, it's going to change. We have to be prepared for that change. Remember this too, that our situations do not necessarily change our life. Tony Blankenship is a friend of mine. You may know him. Some of you may know him. He's from Alabama, and he married uh, Karen Springer out of Houston. Ty, I think he went with you to Nigeria. Ty, Tony came back a changed man <laughs> when he went to Nigeria. He'd been in Alabama his whole life, uh, rooting for the Crimson Tide and having uh, a, a charmed life. Tony's lived a charmed life. I love him better. Than, uh, he's, he's one of my, the best friends I've ever had. And he came back a changed man. And the reason why he came back a changed man is because he went to Nigeria and he saw their situations and he said, Mark, he said, their problems are just like ours. They're just different problems. Instead of worrying about going to work and having to face uh, fellow employees that you may not like or a boss that you may not like, they worry about finding something to eat and getting through that day. My daughter went to China, her and her husband, and they lived among the Chinese for a few weeks over there, rented, rented an apartment. And she said, Mark, she, or Daddy, she told me, she said, Daddy, they don't, <laughs> they do not go out and buy a week's worth of groceries in China. They go out and they'll buy an egg to get through the day. I want to tell you, whether you're in China, whether you're in Nigeria, whether you're in America, the situations do not change your life. There are Christians in Nigeria. There are Christians in China. There are people that are living a joyous, victorious life in utter poverty, not because the situations have made them joyous and victorious, but it's because they know Jesus. That's why. Philippians 4 and 6 gives us not only a command of not to be worryful or anxious about situations in this life, but it also gives us the recipe to overcome this. And I want to share that with you. 
be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You want to live in a pig pen or a flower garden? Really, the choice is yours. We can live in a pig pen by allowing the situations in our life to mold us and to shape us. And we can start thinking about how bad things really are and how awful everything is and all of the troubles that we all have. And we can live in this pig pen. But that's not what the Apostle Paul tells us in this in Philippians 4. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God everything how can you be thankful for everything if you want to live a victorious life we have to learn how to do that the way that we can be thankful for everything is understanding, first of all, that everything that we have in this life that is good comes from the Father above. The afflictions that we suffer in this life come as a result of a fallen world and a sinful world and a cursed flesh. This body is cursed. It's going to die. I can be thankful if I practice what the Lord tells me to do for everything that happens in my life because I know that Jesus is with me. No matter in what circumstances that I'm in. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. Pig pen or flower garden? Do you want to acknowledge the Savior? You could be thankful for everything. Why? Because he's already won the victory. He's won the victory for our souls. If you're a child of God, what you might consider to be a pig pen in this world could turn into a flower garden because it's a temporary place anyway. And it's a place filled with change, and no matter your circumstances in life, they are going to change. Philippians 4 and 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. What do you think about? What do you spend most of your day doing? What do you spend most of your day thinking about? We have to change our thought pattern. Thoughts have a place to go. They, they'll flow just like a river. Thoughts will flow just like a river. and They'll always flow to the easiest course, just like a river. We live in a fallen world, and if we're not careful, our thoughts will flow that easiest course down to a path that will bring us into defeat in our life. So the Apostle Paul gives us a recipe. First of all, be thankful. 
for everything that happens to you in this world. I know that's difficult. But you can find things to be thankful for, no matter what they are. People I've talked to that lost their jobs. The change comes about in their life, and a lot of times, most of the time that I've talked to, every one of them says, you know, I see that as working to good for me. I've got a better job now. I know that some of these things doesn't seem like it's possible that it can be. But you know, it took, go back to my mother for a moment. She worried about making a crop and surviving one year to the next. So what if we did lose a crop? As long as I don't lose a crop because I'm lazy. So what? Is it really going to change my life? Let me be thankful for the things that I learn in those periods of time, of those periods of great difficulty. Let me be thankful for them. Let me understand that what things happen to me, they've fallen out for the good. And they'll work for the good. How foolish I am. Man full of worry and care. I work and I gather and I store what I make for no more than wealth's sake. How foolish. Let's understand that what we think about, what we ingest into our spirit and our soul is what we will become. Think on these things. Whatever causes you anxiety and worry, according to Paul, to the Thessalonians, should be a matter of prayer. Let me give you this. If it's worth worrying over, it's worth praying over. If you have something that is concerning you and you are living in great worry, pray about it. First of all, in your prayer, be specific with the Lord. Tell him what you're worried about. He knows already. Be thankful. Be thankful. Above all, be thankful. And deliverance comes. Now, it'll come one of two ways, but it'll come. It'll come either by removing that thing that, are, that is causing you problems and worry. And if, it do, if God chooses not to remove that, he's promised us that he'll walk with us through it. We approach Christ in that way. I want to be thankful, Lord, because I know you're God and I'm not. And I want to glorify you, God, because you're God and I'm not. And I don't understand these things, Lord, but I know you do. And Lord, I want you to deliver me from these things, but if you don't de deliver me, let thy will be done. Walk with me through it. You know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thrown into a fiery furnace. You think they worried about that before it happened? I can't imagine not having a little bit of anxiety even though they were filled with faith. And they're heating this furnace and the guards that throw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into this furnace. 
They're even killed because of the radiant heat that's coming out from it. And they throw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I believe this fiery furnace is a, fire, a furnace of trials. I believe that's a type of trials for us. They were not spared these trials. But in Daniel 3, verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar says, didn't we throw in three people? He said, yes, Lord. Nebuchadnezzar says, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. If you have trials this evening, and I know you do, even the great trial of sin and the great burden of sin, the sin that is a that has afflicted you your entire life. Jesus has got into the fiery furnace with us and he lived as a man and he walked among us and he went to the cross and there he paid the price for your sins and my sins and their deliverance is being found and what trials we walk through today, Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even into the end of the world or to the end of the age. If you're a Christian and you are walking with Jesus, he'll walk with you. Now, he won't walk with you to the sinful life in the, in the sense that he is uh, supporting your sinful life. That's not the case. He's constantly working with you, trying to change, trying to develop you. But if you're walking with him, the trials of this life He'll be there. He's there and he's listening to you. And he's offering a rest. If you're not a Christian and these burdens of sin have become so heavy to you and they're cutting your flesh and you're bleeding from the sin, Jesus says, you come unto me. I'll walk with you. You can have release and you can have forgiveness of your sins. As we live through this life and we go through this short period of time on this planet, and it is so short, we could live a victorious life with Jesus. If you need him tonight, we want to help you. We pray that you come and take a seat upon the front. Express your needs. There are brethren here, there are elders here that are willing to talk with you and to, if you need baptism, we want to, we want to offer that to you. We have water ready. If you've never been baptized, do that tonight. Do that tonight. Don't wait. If, you're, if you've been entrenched in a world of worry, don't live your life like that. And if you need help, and I know you need help, come up here and take a seat. And let's pray about it. If it's worth worrying over, it's worth praying over. Come, together we stand and sing.